Thanks for tuning in to the Crew at UGA podcast. We are so glad to have you with us. Crew exists to call students to know God, grow in their faith, and go to the world. If you would like to get more connected with Crew at UGA, or if we can help you in any way at all, go to the show notes and click on the link, or follow us on Instagram at Crew at UGA. All right, let's get started. Thank you for that lovely applause. I wish that I had more applause when I did things in life like that. Um, like when I go to the grocery store or I don't know, other things. So again, um, welcome. We're so glad you're here. Happy first day of fall. Happy 21st night of September. Yeah, I've been listening to that song all month and um, we'll be playing it again tonight before the night's over. So um, I'm so glad you're here. Like I said, my name is Natalie. Um, and if I haven't met you yet, um, I am married to Kyler. He's been on stage a couple times, and we have been on staff with Crew for about six years now, um, but this is almost our fourth year at UGA. So I love being a dog. I love calling Athens my home, um, and we're having a baby in January, which is pretty fun. Yeah. Um, I'm having the baby. He is not, but he is very much a part, so... Um, But I'm really excited to have you guys here tonight. We're going to continue in our series that we've been calling Encounters. Um, We've just gotten to see all the different ways Jesus has interacted with people throughout the Gospels. And I'm really excited about our story tonight to share with you. This has been a great series just for my heart personally. I know it's really um, allowed me to be captivated by Jesus more and more. So um, before we start, I'm going to pray. And I also have been told that if you're nervous when you're public speaking, if you say out loud that you're nervous, it helps you simmer a little bit. So pro tip, if you have a presentation coming up in class. And so I'm feeling a little nervous, but I'm really excited. I'm going to pray and then we're going to get started. So um, God, thank you just so much for tonight. Thank you for the opportunity to gather in this way. And thank you for the opportunity to get to open your word and to see what you say and that you reveal to us who you are by the power of your spirit. And so I just pray that that would happen tonight. I pray that you would use my words. Um, and you would just come through and that we would walk away having encountered you in a new way or a different way or a way that is refreshing and good for our souls tonight. So, amen. Okay, so we are going to be in John chapter 8 tonight. It's going to be on the screen. And I'm reading out of the NLT translation tonight. Normally, I read the ESV or the NIV because it's more of a word for word. Um, But NLT is like a thought-for-thought translation, so I think it can be really fun when you read narratives to read this translation because it can help kind of set the stage a little better. So it's going to be on the screen, and I'm going to read it for us. So chapter 8, John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11, says, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They are trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stopped and wrote down, wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding answers, so he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said to her, neither do I. Go and sin no more. 
So this is maybe a story that's familiar to some of you, and there's a lot happening in this story um, historically and culturally, and there's a couple different characters, but tonight we're going to focus primarily on Jesus's encounter with this woman, and I think it's really exciting, and there's a lot of great reasons why we should just focus on her, because back in this time period, the way that women were treated um, was a little differently than now, and so women were sometimes treated as possessions. They were oppressed. You notice in this story, this woman doesn't even have a name. Um, And so back in this time period, most people, including men like this, would have been completely indifferent to this woman's suffering. Um, Women were a part of, they were considered a marginalized group along with like children and the poor, the sick, the disabled. And so they, all those people were treated really differently by these majority male Jews, like the people in this story. And so what we see here is that Jesus encountered this woman in a really different and unique way for this time that would have been absolutely unexpected. And so I just want you to keep this in mind as we're going through the story tonight because I think that's what makes this encounter so unique and exciting and really shows us who God is. So, all right, so we're going to keep going. So what's going on here? Um, It says at the beginning that Jesus is teaching at the temple. And if you're unfamiliar what a temple is, because we don't experience that in America, just think of it as like a church service or something like this tonight. But Jesus is teaching at a temple. He's got a crowd of people around him that it says, and you'll notice it says that he's sitting down. And so what this kind of signifies and means is that he was signifying himself as someone with authority, somebody worth listening to. And so back in this time period when people sat down, it was saying, hey, I have authority and you should be listening to me. Um, and so that's, that's sort of our scene. Jesus is sitting in front of all these people who are here to listen to what he has to say. And what do we see happens? In verse 3, it says that a group of religious teachers of the law or Pharisees, and these are kind of just like snobby religious Jewish people, they bring this unnamed woman caught in adultery. And so I want to kind of help give us a better visual for what this um, could be like. So if you notice when you came in, if you're sitting in the middle, you did, there's kind of this empty section of chairs right in the middle here. Hello, all of you. People might be looking at you. I'm sorry. Um, And so Madeline, if you want to turn the spotlight on, I want us to imagine that this is where this woman is brought, right? There's a crowd of people around her, and it's very obvious that all of the tension should be brought on her. And she was brought here caught in sin. She was caught doing something wrong. She was caught disobeying God and his law. And the man wasn't brought with her. It was just her, right? She was by herself brought in this place to be publicly shamed, publicly humiliated, but More than that, more terrifying than that, to be punished, to be judged, right? So this very private sin has been made public, and not just to Jesus. Um, It's not like these men were like, we'll wait till Jesus is done, and he's walking down the road, and they're like, hey, Jesus, come here. Like, we found this woman. She's doing this thing. Like, what do you think we should do? No, they were like, we want her here in the middle of the room with all eyes on her, brought to the one with authority, teaching all the people. And I just think we need to pause there and not miss that. And I want, I want you to imagine that you were sitting in Tate today, or you're sitting in class today, and this group of powerful, authoritative people drag you out of class, and they bring you to a place like this. They bring you to the middle of a crowd with, a, with all eyes on you for a sin that you have maybe never revealed or uttered to anybody else, or a sin that you are most ashamed of, the thing that keeps you up at night that you just can't shake no matter how long it's been, or a sin you committed this morning that you thought 
nobody knows I did that, or maybe a sin that you didn't even realize yourself that you committed, right? This is where that woman was brought. And, and when I say sin, I mean all the little and big ways that we disregard God or actively rebel against him or his people in our actions or our attitudes. So this is the lying, the pride, the promiscuity, the cheating, the jealousy, the envy, the drunkenness, the gossiping, right? It's all of those things. It's actions and attitudes that we disregard God and we just don't, we just don't care. I know for me this week when I was preparing this, um, I thought of a lot of things that I would not want to be publicly exposed in a spotlight like that. Um, and the one for me that kept coming up was, I thought, if I were before you all tonight and before Jesus, and all of the careless or reckless words I've ever said, all of the harsh, critical thoughts or attitudes or things that I said were, were laid out before me in front of other people like this and in front of Jesus, if I were brought here to be publicly shamed and humiliated for, for those things with all eyes on me, if someone else exposed that sin, I would just want to crumble. And so our woman tonight, right, that's what she's experiencing. She's face to face with Jesus, a Jewish man sitting down, teaching with authority, knowing that she has done wrong. And so, continuing our story, what do we see that these men do? I imagine that they've, they've, like, brought her in, you know, like, they've grabbed her by the arm. She's a little disheveled, right? She might have, like, tears staining her face, or she's trembling because she's afraid. Like, she looks a mess. She's not okay. She's completely alone. And they say in verses 4 and 5, they say, Jesus, like, she was caught in adultery. Like, this is a sin that we do not tolerate as a society, as a culture. Like, your Old Testament law, like, very clearly is against it. We should all be in agreement on that. So, Jesus, like, what, what do you think we should do? Um, and they're right. I, I mean, they're not exaggerating. Back in this time period, like, this was a big sin for a woman um, to commit. This was one of the most shameful things a woman could do to bring shame upon not just herself, but upon her family. And so they say, so what should we do, Jesus? Should we stone her? And what they mean by stoning is they mean publicly executing her. They literally mean picking up stones and throwing them at her until the, she dies. And stoning back in this time period, it, this was used for the, the big ones. These, this punishment was used for the sins that caused irreparable damage to a person spiritually um, and just the ways it wrecked their, their purity and I know there's a cultural difference here. Like, we, we don't have a context for what it would be like to stone somebody or probably what it would even look like to, to kill somebody over a sin like this. And so tonight, the point isn't, I don't want you to get hung up on, like, why, why are they wanting to kill her over this? What I want us to focus on is, why does she deserve a punishment before God? Why did these men bring her here before Jesus and say, she needs to be punished? And so our woman, she's standing there awaiting her punishment that she deserves for her sin, and she knows it. This would be familiar to her, guys. Like, she knows what's coming. And so it begs us to ask the question, why is her punishment deserved? Like, why, why is this punishment something that, that everybody cares so much about? And there's two reasons that are really, really important that I sometimes think we miss when we read Scripture. It is that God is holy and God is just. And so when we say God is holy, we mean that he is 
perfect. There is none like him. He is exalted above all creation. He is the standard. He is above the rest. He is what is right and good and whole. He is holy. And because he is holy, he is therefore just. And so I've got some scripture on the screen to help us understand what does it mean that God is just. So Deuteronomy 32.4 says, He is the rock, and his works are perfect, and his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. Talking about God in Genesis 18.25, it says, Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous with the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? Isaiah 45, I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. Romans 6, for the wages of sin is death, meaning a spiritual and a physical death. 1 Thessalonians, he will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. And finally, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. See, you guys, we deserve a punishment for our sin because God in his holiness and his justice He simply cannot and will not tolerate sin in his presence. And this woman, our woman in this story, she knows the weight of what is happening to her. She knows the punishment that she is due. Those scriptures about God's justice would be familiar to her. And she is all alone and she knows how men like that treat people like her. And so she's standing here. I just want you to picture it. I want you to picture yourself in the spotlight. She's standing here before Jesus, the Son of God, God himself, Jesus, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, in whom the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Jesus, the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. It's from Colossians and Hebrews. That is who she's standing before. And what do we see him do? He does something so remarkable and so unexpected that nobody in the crowd would expect it. What he does is he seeks justice while also fighting for compassion. He, in this moment, uses his authority and his power not to say, stone her, kill her, condemn her, cast her out, punish her, send her away, like he could and like he should. But what he says in verse 7, it's it's. It's just unheard of. He says, okay, fine. You could stone her. But you who have never sinned, you throw the first stone. When, when saying this in verse 7 to these men, um, he's, he's confronting their sin too. And what do we see happen? It says in the text that starting from the oldest to the youngest, right? Starting from the most respected elder man in that group to the youngest who follows suit, They slowly drop their stones and they leave her alone. Jesus, in this moment, you guys, he's displaying his ultimate authority here in such a different way than anybody else, any other man would have shown a woman at this time. And and when he does this, when he stands up for the dignity of this woman, he's at the same time standing up for all of those other marginalized groups that I mentioned in the beginning. And so now in our spotlight right, in our, in our center stage, he's alone with her among the crowd. Our Jesus, our God in the flesh, with every right to punish, every right to humiliate, every right to shame and condemn, what do we see him do? Oh, it's so good, you guys. We see that he neither condemns her for her sin, nor does he condone her sin. 
okay? He neither condemns her for her sin nor condones her sin. In verse 10, he says to her, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? Neither do I. And how is this possible? Right? How is this, how is it seeming like he's just letting her go unpunished for this sin that they brought her here to literally kill her for, to publicly execute her for? How is this not just a warning and do better next time? What about when she inevitably sins again because she will? And so it raises the question for us, is Jesus giving up God's justice here? Like, how is his response to her just? And Jesus isn't giving up God's justice here or his own justice for her sin. And we find our answer to be true in the cross. See, you guys, at the cross, that is where God displays not just his love for us, but also his justice. Because on the cross, Jesus is taking the place of every single sinful human being, and he's receiving the punishment from God that they are due, that physical death and that separation from him spiritually. We each accumulate and earn a debt, a shame, a humiliation, a punishment for our sin. But what we find in Jesus on the cross is a great love that fulfills God's justice. And so whether you're in this room tonight and you identify as a Christian or you're in this room and you're just like checking out who is this Jesus character I've heard so much about in my life, the one thing that is true of all of us and myself included is that we are sinners. We sin. We break God's law. We don't live or think or feel as we should. We're not even aware of it. It's, our, it's in our nature to be this way. And What is so beautiful is that the blood of Jesus, it essentially covers our sin from God's view and therefore holds back the wrath that we we deserve from him. For those who believe on the cross, Jesus goes before God and he regains God's favor towards us. He acts as a mediator, as an advocate for sinners. He, He literally, you guys, stands in our place. And Jesus uses this moment in this text, this moment in the spotlight with this woman to say to her, what should be, won't be. I will take on this punishment, not you. Jesus is saying to this woman who is overlooked, who is seemingly so unimportant, the humiliation and the shame that you deserve, I will bear. Philippians 2, 6 through 9, it tells us, though he was in the form of God, talking about Jesus, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even a death on a cross. And so what the cross means, guys, what the cross can mean for you is that you no longer have to be afraid of your sin or ruled by your sin or hide your sin or run and try to ignore your sin. We don't have to be like that woman trembling before God, awaiting his justice, because Romans 5.8 tells us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so the cross is this picture of the ultimate representation of God's love and his commitment to justice. He's both. He wouldn't be God and he wouldn't be unlike any other. He wouldn't be holy if he didn't equally love us and equally fulfill 
the justice that he knows is due. John 3.16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever should believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. You guys, this is the gospel. This is the good news. And so my question for you tonight as we look at this encounter with Jesus is, do you believe this? If you don't trust in the work of Christ, like this isn't true of you right now. You will receive God's justice. But when we simply put our faith in Jesus, he stands on our behalf before God and awaits the punishment that we should be standing and awaiting ourselves. So I want us to go back to our story to see how it ends for one last time. He ends by saying, or he ends, he doesn't just end with, I don't accuse you, like, good luck next time, like, hopefully I'm here whenever you're found sinning again. But he says to her, I don't accuse you either, go and sin no more. He says, I see this sin. I see all of the other sins you've done that they haven't brought you here for. He says, I knew that you did this this morning before these men even found you. I know if this is the first time or if it will be the last time. I know everything about you. I know all of your pain. I know all of your suffering. I know how you feel and live in this world. I know it all. And he says to her, guys, he says, you aren't condemned. I will extend you mercy, but, but I still demand obedience. And so he says to her, go and sin no more. Go and, and live differently. Leave behind this life of sin that these men have found you in. Entrust your life to me. Live this life that I'm calling you to live that is best for you and free of sin like this. And what this doesn't mean is this doesn't mean about, like, we're supposed to go follow more rules, right? This doesn't mean, like, she just needs to shape up and do better. What it means is that, y'all, once we encounter Jesus in this way, once we understand what he has done for us, right, once we see that he is our advocate, our mediator, but more than that, he's our compassionate judge, we are changed. Like, you can't really see that and, and not walk away different. And you see that this woman's response at the end is she says, no, Lord, right? By calling her Lord, she is acknowledging that Jesus is who he says he is. She is honoring him. She is saying that she trusts him. And guys, the same thing can be true for me and for you. We don't have to suddenly become perfect or, or resolve to never sin again. But it means that we now have a greater hope. It means that we don't have to live in fear or worry of a just God stoning us, condemning us, shaming us, or humiliating us, or turning his back on us, or abandoning us, or saying you're not good enough, or saying I don't love you anymore after you did that. Our hope is no longer found in how good we can be or how well we can perform our hope and our hope alone is found in the person and the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. When we see that in Christ, we get to walk away unpunished, we are changed. And not just walk away unpunished, but given love and acceptance and belonging. And so I think in reading this passage, what, what I felt like God revealed to me was, 
I think it's when we really begin and understand and see clearly God's justice that we can see more beautifully how deeply he loves us. And so seeing God's justice more clearly sometimes involves seeing our sin more deeply. And so if that's something that you don't ask God to reveal to you, I encourage you, maybe what would it look like in your time with him to say, God, would you show me the ways that I am just far more sinful than I can imagine? And would you show me all the different ways that you still meet me in that? It's when we do that and we see what we should deserve and we didn't get, how deeply, deeply Jesus loves us on the cross. That is what the Christian life is all about. And so as we wrap up this encounter tonight with our woman, I want you to, I want you to ask yourself, like, do you see yourself in this spotlight? And do you know the Jesus of this story? Do you think that he would treat you this way, the way that he treats this woman? Do you believe that if you're a Christian here tonight and you were in that spotlight, that he would say those things, that he would say, I don't condemn you, but I demand obedience? Is Jesus Lord to you? Or would you be standing in that spotlight tonight trembling like this woman, afraid and alone of what could possibly happen to you, hopeless? So I'm going to close with one of my favorite scriptures that I think encapsulates um, just the heart of Christ so much in Isaiah. And referring to Jesus, it says, A bruised reed he will not crush, and a smoldering wick he will not quench, but he will faithfully bring forth justice. A bruised reed is a fragile water plant. We are just all fragile plants that at any moment could be stomped out or crushed. A smoldering wick, we are just a tiny flame. And what do we see? We see that Jesus doesn't quench us and put us out and stomp all over us. But he will faithfully bring forth justice as he preserves us before the Father. And so I invite you tonight to come to this compassionate and just Jesus. I'm going to pray for us. Jesus, thank you that that verse in Isaiah is true. Thank you that you are a God that way, that a smoldering wick you will not quench and a bruised reed you will not crush, that you, te- you treat us with far more tenderness than we ever would treat ourselves. God, thank you that you are, you are holy, you are good, you are right, you're the only one that has ever been the way you are, and yet you invite us into relationship with yourself. You want to know us. You saw our sin problem, and what did you do? You came. You yourself came. The Son of God, the Son of Man, you came, and you stood in our place. And so, God, would you open our eyes tonight um, to see you more clearly for who you really are? Yes, help us understand and see more of your love, more of your compassion, more of your grace. But, God, help us see that love in light of the ways that you are just and holy. And would the cross become ever bigger and ever enlarged in our eyes? We love you, Jesus. Thank you. Amen.